everyone, and welcome to Trek Breaks, the show where we watch every episode of Star Trek, starting all the way back with the original series, and usually tear them to shreds, but sometimes have some good things to say about them. <laughs> My name is Kevin, and I am joined, as always, by Jonathan. Hey, hey, how's it going, Kevin? Oh, it's going great. How are you doing today, man? Fantastic. Awesome. Well, I've got a question, as per usual, before we get to the Warp Speed recap. And today's question was submitted by Frank. I'm just, it, it was submitted by Frank. I was going to try to give him a title. So <laughs> it was our executive producer or our right. editor or something like that. No, it, it was Frank. <laughs> and he asks, what novel would make the best holodeck program? Yeah, that's a good question. So, so the first thing that comes to my mind because of uh, Next Generation was like, man, Sherlock Holmes would be really engaging and make a good holodeck program. But that's lazy and that's cheap to just jump with what they've already done. So I was thinking like, how cool it would be to to play in the holodeck in like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones. Ooh. Something like really intense. I mean, you're supposed to take yourself out of your world and kind of experience something different. That'd be very entertaining. You're on a planet surface where you're exploring, you know, nature. So, uh, and, you know, the great battle scenes and stuff like that. So I think one of those two, especially Game of Thrones, would be a lot of fun. That, that would be awesome. I didn't even think about something <clears throat> fantasy. So. I was trying to think of something like kind of off the wall like that, but my first thought would be because I want to make this canon in Star Trek is mm-hmm. a Star Wars book. I want Star Ooh. Wars to <laughs> exist as fiction in Star Trek. That'd be so great. And right. specifically the the original Thrawn trilogy that uh, Timothy Zahn wrote, they're not, they're not canon anymore in mm-hmm. Star Wars, but I think that those would be the best books because they take place after episode six. So to me, before episode seven, eight, nine were released, these were in my mind, episode seven, eight, nine. It'd be so great to play through them on the holodeck. <laughs> That'd be so much freaking fun. Lightsabers, yeah. blasters, uh, Admiral Thrawn is awesome. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure they could write in a way to actually tie the shows together without it being a holodeck program, like a dimensional rift or just going outside of their own galaxy, uh, you know, find this huge empire that's trying to take over or something. That'd be great at some day to to have those two forces meet and then a massive battle i'm i'm kind of thinking that star wars would do that with like marvel first mm-hmm. just because they're all disney properties but that does leave it open to other things and i know star trek has done crossovers in comics with like the x-men and stuff yeah so it's crazy yeah i remember seeing that when i was younger and thinking what the crap is this and i never <laughs> read it and i really regret it because i didn't care for star trek at the time that'd be fun to see if if there is a Star Trek or Star Wars holodeck program, uh, what characters the different, you know, Star Trek characters would want to play? Oh, that, that would be, oh, oh man, be fun. when we get into TNG, if we remember, we should talk about that. Like which yeah. cast member would play what character in Star Oh, That'd be awesome. That'd be a very right. fun question. <laughs> All right. Well, it's time for the warp speed. Oh, wait. Before we get to the warp speed recap, what episode are we talking about today? Oh, yeah. Hey, we skipped over that. <laughs> Today, we're on the original series, season one, episode 23, A Taste of Armageddon. Yeah, A Taste of a Bad Episode. Let's get to that (laughs) warp speed recap. The Enterprise arrives at Star Cluster NGC-321 with a Federation ambassador aboard. The mission is to open diplomatic relations with uh, with the peoples of this area of space. Upon nearing the planet... Aminiar 7. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I'm going to stick with it. A message is received. Code 710. Code 710. Do not approach the planet under any circumstances. Starfleet regulations would tell them to move along, right? Well, yes, but Ambassador Fox says to go anyway. An away team beams down to the surface. They are greeted, but warned. The planet has been at war with the neighboring planet in the system for over 500 years. While Kirk chats with the High Council, the enemy strikes. Fusion bombs hit overhead and thousands are declared dead. But the away team heard no such attack. The attack was actually a computer simulation and the casualties are to report to their death via disintegration within 24 hours. (laughs) That's pretty civilized now, isn't it? Kirk is told that the Enterprise was declared a casualty and everyone aboard is to report to their death. Holding the away team as leverage, the High Council tries to lure the crew to the surface. Scotty knows better. Kirk and Spock eventually escape custody and destroy a few of the disintegration chambers, 
while finally making their way to the computer that runs the simulations. They destroy those two and advocate for peace. Ambassador Fox stays on the planet to help negotiate peace between the two warring planets as the Enterprise flies towards its next adventure. So I skipped. I, like, I, skipped I always like your recaps. <laughs> They're fun yeah. to write, man. They really are. Yeah. So hearing your recap I was like, oh, yeah, this is a really good episode. No, <laughs> I think it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty good story. A very interesting story. I just think this episode was not not great. Not the best. There are reasons. There are reasons that I think that it it was it, it was a lot longer than it needed to be, mm-hmm. and I we'll get into it more. But I, my biggest problem with this episode is that it didn't seem necessary for Anon Seven to try to deceive the Enterprise crew that was still on the planet to try to lure them down in Kirk's voice. Why not just go? We have your away team as hostage. It's, it's great leverage. Just we they're hostages, and we have your ship targeted with our with our guns if you don't come down here and report to death we're going to kill your hostage we're going to kill our hostages that seems like a good starting point if you're going to kill people right (laughs) or something yeah we need to we need to resolve this issue we have these hostages hostages (laughs) uh we need you all to come down so we can negotiate terms or something like that yeah and then you know okay now that you're here sorry you're all gonna die (laughs) (laughs) yeah something a little bit better than yeah sure leave for everybody leave the ship abandoned it's okay come on down yeah it was was strange but i i do like the story of the episode i just don't like how it was executed yeah so start off with the enterprise en route to star cluster ngc321 which is a mouthful uh, there's a lot of mouthfuls in this with Mia three, Anon seven, Eminiar seven, Vendikar. There's words and names that I, I'm probably going to slip up on a lot throughout this. Um, but they're sent to open diplomatic relations and they're trying to get some response from the planet. It takes them a while to respond, but they finally receive a 710 code, which means do not approach the planet. And then we meet Ambassador Fox. Yeah, so right away, I hate Ambassador Fox. <laughs> yeah, I think you're meant to right away. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't get, like, why they they put these people on a starship and send him off to go, you know, meet and and have diplomatic relations with other planets and societies and stuff. But this guy has obviously no idea of what space travel is or communications with other species. Like, he is ill-equipped to do this job. Why would you have him do it and not a captain of a ship that has been doing that for many years and that's like 90% of his job is you know making peace with aliens that they encounter right it's a thing that we see a lot in star trek where they use either an admiral or an ambassador that doesn't know anything about they know about how to like negotiate peace or they know how yeah. to talk to other civilizations but they don't know how to strike that first contact yeah they're like professional uh politicians Right. Where they understand perfectly how to work and, and maneuver within their culture and society and their you know, thought processes. But when you're interacting with an alien race that you've never met before that has totally different culture than you, you have to take the first few steps to learn their culture and bring it in. And then you can learn how to communicate with them on their level. So I think, yeah, they, they need to keep the diplomats at home. <laughs> at least until after like an official first contact and then a second contact has been achieved. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, they throw up yellow alert shields up and they go toward the planet. Um, the inhabitants of the planet are advanced, but have not left their own system is what Spock says. They're a super advanced society. They've never left the system and they're trying to figure out why, um, the planet knows that the enterprise is there in orbit, but they don't care. Like they don't try to reach out. They don't try to warn them any further. They just let them be. And the, the away team beams down is Kirk, Spock, and you've got a Yaleman and two security officers, I believe. And what did you think of how the planet looked? Because I don't know if it was the remastered version specifically, but it looked pretty good to me. Yeah, that's what I was like, this is kind of high tech. It had to be remastered, obviously. I, I, I don't know. I, again, I want to compare <laughs> the new and the old, but um, yeah, it looked, it looked pretty advanced. Yeah, it's a lot of... Uh, a lot of bright colors. I didn't care for the uniforms that the people were wearing, but I don't <laughs> yeah. know if those are supposed to be just like casual clothes or if they're military uniforms or if anybody even cared. But I like how a- they do that, though. We see that in, in Voyager and Next Generation. Though. They'll make something look totally weird, their, their costumes-wise, but 
it's made to make us believe that, well, yeah, they have this whole diverse culture that we wouldn't really understand until we got to know them. Right. So it just gives you a little taste of, you know, somebody with a really weird hairdo or something. And you're like, wow, that's, that's odd. But then we don't know their culture. Maybe that's a symbol of authority or something like that to them. I also didn't cool. like Ambassador Fox's outfit in this episode. Like, yeah. I don't know if that was supposed to be like, what diplomats wear <laughs> yeah like it wasn't casual it was more like business attire but it's not business attire that i'm used to and i don't think it looked very good yeah and i don't know like we see before the, the starfleet or the federation will jump into a situation without doing their homework so if i were him he i would be dressed in a federation clothes that best mimic the people that i'm going to be meeting with right. so they could see a mix of our cultures on me and feel more comfortable but I don't think he was aiming for that. <laughs> no, not, not, not at all. I but I don't think he did any of his homework. <laughs> <laughs> um, we hear the name United Federation of Planets for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's not USPA anymore, which is, <laughs> which is good. I like the Federation. It's a lot easier to say rolls off the tongue, and I'm used to saying it, so yeah. it's a good, uh, good time to finally introduce that almost all the way through season one. <laughs> uh, they meet with Mia 3, who is a female representative of the planet, and by coming there, she she warns that the crew is in danger, but morality suggests that hospitality should be extended. So they're still nice. They're cordial. Uh, she takes them to the high council chamber where they f- see that they're they've been at war for over 500 years is what they tell them. Mm-hmm. But there's no evidence of war anywhere on the planet. And Kirk and Spock talk about that, too. There's yeah. just. It's just, it's a lush planet. Everything's lively. Everything looks very scientifically advanced. Yeah. So, and so it, you think like it is as crazy as what they're doing is it's effective in the fact that they don't have overpopulation when a large chunk of their people, you know, end game style just gets erased. Then there's a lot of resources to go around. They kind of have probably have to re reallocate resources commonly. Though, so this is, seems like a really cruel system, but somehow they've seemed to make it work for them. It's still not okay, but you see their society seems to be thriving aside from this thing they have to do sometimes. <laughs> and, yeah, that, that's the kicker. And like, I do want to talk about the morality of it at some point, and I, I, we'll get in discussion, I'm sure, by the end of the episode. Um, mm-hmm. But it is very Thanos. It is very, uh, <laughs> let's jump to this rather yeah. than trying something else to solve the problem and i don't even think they brought up overpopulation as a concern in this episode it's just they were just at war and people are expected to die Mm -hmm. uh they said one to three million people per year are killed um in this war and it's been going on for 500 years so it's a lot of people so they must like as, as weird as this is they must be trying to have children always because they're constantly fighting this other was that a planet or another moon? I think it was another planet in the solar system. Yeah. And if they outnumber each other, you know, if, if these attacks keep happening and eventually they dwindle down their numbers enough that they can't continue to populate their planet, that's how they win. So there War must attrition be, right there. Yeah. There must be this push amongst the people that like, well, as soon as you're able to have a kid, you need to start having kids to <laughs> keep our populations up. So I'm sure there's, you know, a lot of daycares and a lot of businesses that help support like just the raising of children or a big community uh, group behind that. But it's, it's weird to think like you have such a high turnover of your population because this, you know, 500 year war that's all kind of simulated anyways. I think the interesting thing about it, at least to me, is that the people that they're warring with, that they're at war with is from um, Vendikar. It's the third planet in the system. But they're originally from the same planet as these guys. So they're, mm-hmm. they all stem from Eminiar 7. God, I'm, I hate that name. Eminiar 7. <laughs> so cheesy sci-fi. <laughs> right. um, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like the, the Vulcans and the Romulans splitting, right? Or yeah. something like that. It's just they're from the same place, but now they live separately and don't agree. And they're warring. One thing I didn't. I didn't note or I didn't ha- uh, have an answer for and didn't really care for because they didn't present an answer is how do they know that the enemy is also executing the people that they say they, they are or should be? 
Yeah, they didn't touch on that at all. I think it was just something that we weren't supposed to think about because they're so scientifically advanced that they just know. And yeah, maybe their murder booths are like linked and they keep a tally. <laughs> I don't know. The murder booth. I like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's uh, supposedly an attack where fusion bombs were used above the, the capital city where they're at, but mm-hmm. nobody hears anything. Kirk and Spock, the away team, they're all confused naturally. Um, they launch a counterattack, but we find out that everything is computer simulated. There's no actual physical attack, mm-hmm. but whenever there is an attack, they have to a certain number of people have to report to their death within 24 hours to, to keep up the whole the feeling of war. Like there still has to be a cost associated with it because they're at war is their justification for it. And if they yeah. don't report to their death. The threat is that there will be an actual physical attack with real bombs mm-hmm. used. If they even have that kind of technology anymore, who knows? Because they haven't used them in over 500 years. So I wonder what that technology would look like. <laughs> yeah, but, so this, this just seems... I, I don't know, obviously it's a different culture. They've been doing this for a long time. But couldn't you just be doing a digital count? And once, once one of them tips the scales to a certain point, then you're like, okay, well, you guys won. We you know, have to forfeit our planet or whatever. but not, you know, all right, well, that was a good strike. Let's go ahead and kill, you know, 27,000 people or whatever it is. Like, I don't know. Obviously, we're meant to be uneasy about how they're doing this, but it seems seems crazy. It seems if you're going to be simulating it, you could simulate the whole thing and you could be exchanging a currency if that's the case. You either have a count of, well, you're, you're beating us by 16,000 lives right now or it'd be like, oh, shoot, you know what? That was a good strike. The cost of war is actual money or resources. So you're ahead of us. Now we have to ship you, you know, a certain amount of dilithium or we have to send you 16 billion credits or whatever. I propose that they just play a game of like Age of Empires. There you go. <laughs> so they play an RTS that, <laughs> that, that'll do this. And I don't know. It's, it's, it's confusing to me because I think the philosophy is so different. The reason that they don't actually do physical attacks is because they want to keep the societies, the civilizations intact. Yeah. But they still want to have the people die. Yeah. But if there are people dying in a war to protect the civilization and too many people die, what civilization is left to protect? Exactly. And that, that, that's what I don't get. And Kirk, and the audience is supposed to, I'm guessing, agree with that assessment. <laughs> um, Kirk even says that computers don't kill half a million people. And to that, I say he's, he's never played an MMO. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this actually reminds me, we had a good question to go along the steps, so now that I think about it. Um, we briefly earlier mentioned, uh, talked about Ready Player One, and I'm thinking this all could be done inside a holodeck simulation where you have just all you know an army and you guys are battling through a simulation and it would represent you know a certain amount of lives instead of actually losing physical lives imagine someday we could have our war on a web-based platform instead of on the ground and instead of losing lives you're you know losing digital currency or digital uh data characters you know that'd be interesting uh, it'll that line of thinking definitely brings up a very fun topic to discuss but that'd probably take way too much time to discuss <laughs> right now yeah for sure uh, spock says that there is a scientific logic to what they've got going on with people reporting to their deaths seemingly willingly um and the anon seven the guy from the high council says oh so you approve i'm glad to hear it he's like i don't <laughs> approve um yeah. i just understand it which is, it, it shows that Spock can still be logical while disagreeing emotionally to some extent, or mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if emotion's the right word, but it shows some character development in Spock that I'm glad happened in this episode. Yeah, it's a level of higher thinking that we wouldn't normally like, relate to, but it's, he's smart enough to understand why somebody would do something and still disagree with it. We usually would just... You know, if I don't understand why you would do it, I'm going to disagree. Or if I, if I do understand, then I agree. But, you know, it's, it's the smarter. I mean, and, and we see and people do have that ability, too. It's not just a Vulcan thing, but most people are not that smart. <laughs> right. Yeah. Thankfully, they've got Spock with them. All right. 
Um, at this point, they are told, the Enterprise is told that they are, well, I should say the away team is informed that the Enterprise has been classified as destroyed and that everybody on board has 24 hours to report to a disintegration chamber. And the away team is held captive in order to ensure the crew comply. One thing I don't, I don't agree with in that too is these are strangers from another planet with different technology and you have no idea how their ship would handle one of your missile attacks. Right. Or your bombs. So As we see when they actually attack them later too. <laughs> yeah. So, like, so you classified us as destroyed, but that wouldn't have brought our shields down 10%. So, right. you know, I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. They just assumed that their technology could destroy the Enterprise. Yeah. I mean, it's all hypothetical technology anyway, right? I yeah, mean, unless exactly. they're basing it off of the same... I, I wonder if they actually are developing weapons and then just are simulating them, because you'd figure that they'd need to develop the weapons in order to advance them. And True. throughout 500 years of war, there's going to be some advancement in, in uh, weapons technology. Yeah. Well, so I, I, think, I think since they've been doing it for 500 years, they probably have gotten away from the technology. They probably don't even know how to make a, a, a real you know missile anymore or weapon but they're playing a game of battleship so it's more of strategically calculating where the the highest population density would be or you know if i take down this building it'll kill a whole lot more people than if we take down that building so i think they put more planning into the strikes uh accuracy versus the size of it it's just it makes me wonder like what they how they like equate the the yield of the explosion or whatever how many people yeah. are supposed to die what did they base that off of it's if it's not like an actual physical weapon from when the war started before. I, I don't know. It's, there's a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, they probably would like agree on terms of, uh, you know, a certain yield back in the day when their technology, where their technology was that, okay, we agree a strike means this much and this much. And then, you know, certain parameters that it would fit within. But I agree. Technology advances. They should be able to build bigger and better weapons. So. How would you tell the other guy, like, hey, so I made one that's 20% more powerful. Just so you know, we're going to hit more, <laughs> yeah. more people this time. <laughs> it's an awkward phone conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but then they increase their hypothetical defense technology. And I'm, I'm just wondering, like, how far back the technology started to know mm. how it's going to even affect the Enterprise. That's where my thought process started. Because if they're using, by their standards, 500-year-old technology, it might still be somewhat advanced for the Enterprise, mm -hmm. but they might also, yeah, agree with your <laughs> point from earlier. My God. <laughs> um, at this point, we're supposed to feel sorry for Mia 3, who is the, uh, the, the, the attractive female blonde uh, representative of this planet, and Kirk is obviously trying to discourage her from reporting to a chamber because she's been declared a casualty of this of that latest attack mm -hmm. she's supposed to report to a disintegration chamber and he tries to talk her out of it but she grew up in this society where that's what they do this just again or real quick this whole disintegration chamber thing it makes me wonder do they have replicator technology could these be disintegrating them down to a replicator matter so that can later be used to make food or something like that to feed the rest of the population? And then that makes me think of our replicator technology. We see in, in um, Discovery that they can kind of create things out of what seems like nothing now. They don't have to be standing at a replicator. They, they have more you know, versatile advancements in, in replicator and, and transporter technology. So could you have a phaser rifle that when you shoot somebody, it disintegrates them, but it actually dematerializes them and saves that, that matter to be used for later replication. You know what I mean? That's some next level, like, eco-friendly warfare. <laughs> right? I don't know. If you're on a planet, you don't have a lot of resources, like, oh, when we, when we fight, when we kill people, we're going <laughs> to save them for later. Or it's... you shoot them and they, they're dematerialized to be rematerialized in captivity later, too. I, I was going to liken it to hunting deer. It's like, got to use every piece of the, the they got to <laughs> use every atom of this dis disintegrated person. Right. <laughs> um, Mia tries to convince Kirk that this way is better than people being destroyed and the civilization being destroyed. Um, it's the way it's been for over 500 years. And this is where I wanted to talk about it a little bit, but I think we've already hit on it quite a bit. But do you agree with this philosophy that it's better 
or are they just being stubborn because this is the way it's been for 500 years? Yeah, well, I think what's better is peace. So, <laughs> like, well, in- yes. <laughs> <laughs> instead of you fight with a gun or a sword or words, like just find a way to to resolve your differences. And if that means that the leaders need to be replaced over time or whatever, like that's what usually in in our wars you fight until you can kill enough people for them to surrender or you kill the people in charge and then implement new leaders to agree with your, your, you know, whatever your ways. Um, so yeah, no, I think this is still terribly ineffective because you're losing lives and war for the most part is to preserve life and not necessarily culture. Right. Um, I, I think that these people have a bit of a superiority complex over outsiders like their way is better because they're so enlightened. And it reminds me of Obi-Wan Kenobi with the lightsaber calling a blaster uncivilized. It's like, well, you're still killing people. So yeah. is it really any more civilized or less civilized than the way we do it? Yeah. And they take pride in how beautiful their city is because, you know, it isn't being destroyed by bombs and stuff like that. But it's like, well, yeah, look at that beautiful city. But these people are walking to their death. And, you know, there, there's no you still are losing the civilization that you're trying to protect just in a different way. Yeah. And a lot slower, but still the same effect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Back on the ship, Scotty gets a message from what sounds like Kirk, but is a non seven disguising his voice as Kirk somehow or using that was weird because we saw it from like a non seven was talking in Kirk's voice or in a 98% replicated version of Kirk's voice. Yeah. I thought that was a little strange. That took me away from it a little bit because usually they use technology to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I don't remember him using anything specific to change his voice, right? right? Was he just, I mean, is this like a throwback to how easy it was to lie about your records back in the day and stuff? He's like, well, I can just, <laughs> I can pretend I'm the captain. Nobody will notice. Right. Like, we don't have anything that says, oh, this incoming message is from, you know, this person, biological security or something. Uh, that's kind of funny. It threw me off, but regardless of that, do you think that this is an effective way of of luring the crew down by telling them that uh, diplomatic relations are all going as well as can be, and that shore leave has been granted for everybody on the Enterprise? Everybody, come down here. Let let's party. Is that the the, the most effective way? You think? I I think it it. It could be. I think he he had a good logic, <clears throat> good logic behind it. That you know he doesn't want to scare them and say, "Hey, everyone's gonna die." So come down here to your death. They're obviously not gonna comply. So to say, hey, I, you know, you, you, first he's the captain, so they obey the captain's orders um, uh, until death or just shy of death. They're usually probably not gonna willingly step in front of phaser fire at captain's orders, but uh, just shy of that, they would. So to say, hey, the captain's ordering everybody to go down and enjoy this this new planet that we came to. We made friends and all that stuff. I think it's it's believable, um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess there's there's also a million other ways he could have done it. What do you what do you think? Uh, well, I, I think it was weird that Scotty immediately knew that it was a ruse, which mm-hmm. is it, it shows good leadership on Scotty's part, which is great because we don't get to see very much of that character in this show, at least this early on, and yes. this is like one of his best showings so far um i was kind of confused by like why wouldn't they just tell them that they have the hostages because when kirk and spock were initially beaming down mia three is talking to the other people with her and says that's where they're going to materialize so they have a a technology advanced enough to know where they're going to materialize at so when they send a rescue team to try to find Kirk and Spock and the yeoman and the security guys, they're, they know where they're going to beam down. Just be ready and kill them then. Yeah. I, I think also their, their warfare obviously is different than we're used to. So for them to outright threaten the enterprise, the, the crew and its ship would be extremely risky because they haven't taken a, a damage to their city in 500 years, right. the Enterprise could volley a couple shots that would just destroy the entire building. They're like, well, if you're going to kill our, our landing party, we're going to go ahead and take out every building within, you know, a hundred mile radius while we're at it. Just so, you know, we make sure you guys learn your, your message, your lesson. Uh, so I think that's a, a roundabout way to make sure that they don't get into an open war with Enterprise. 
it just it, it leaves it's just the plot hole of leaving the ship completely abandoned that obviously yeah. anybody in the right mind knows that Kirk's not going to order every single human off the ship while it's in orbit unless he's on trial yeah, <laughs> <something>. exactly <laughs> <laughs> right um this is um the next scene here when there we see spock and kirk inside the their prison cell whatever it's not really a prison cell it's just a room that they don't have access to the door for um we hear that Vulcanians, once again, not Vulcans, but Vulcanians, that they have limited telepathic abilities. And Spock uses said te telepathic abilities to lure the guard into the room so that they can disarm him, get the door opening device, and escape. Yeah. That was pretty cool. I liked that a lot. And Leonard Nimoy freaking nailed how, like, like he personifies Vulcans, Vulcanians, yeah. Vulcanians. <laughs> to me, yeah. It's funny to me that they, they've switched back and forth between Vulcan and Vulcanian a couple of times now. But yeah, that, it's great. I like that they, they, I don't think we've ever seen, we've seen a mind meld past once, I think. And it yeah. was a little different than we're used to, but uh, we're starting to develop the, the Vulcan race a little more in the show, give him more depth. So I think that's really cool. We use that a little more in the, I mean, well, probably a lot more in the future. Speaking but, of uh, Spock's depth though, and, uh, they walk up to a disintegration chamber. Spock walks up to one of the guys, one of the guards, and says, "Excuse me, you have something on your shoulder." And he grabs <laughs> to do the Vulcan nerve pinch and right? disarms the guy. I, I thought that was that was very clever. I didn't think that Spock would use humor as a weapon, but if anybody's <laughs> going to do it, it's going to be him. <laughs> right? Yeah, that was pretty good. Um, the actual disintegration chamber itself. It looked like it was like a transporter pad piece or mixed with like a turbo lift door. Mm -hmm. I, I thought they did a pretty decent job of repurposing other parts of sets to make the corridors and to use what they had to make these sets look different than what they already had. I think the set design was pretty good in this episode. Yeah. And like I was saying before, the, the technology, I mean, it kind of looks like well, we've seen before that back in the 60s, their technology is very limited. So alien technology is hard to represent to be different than what they have. Uh, but it looks different enough, but it still looks, you know, techy, like, uh, like this could be to dematerialize somebody and store their energy to, you know, make crops and stuff like that. So, right. Um, back aboard the enterprise, uh, they're fired upon, mm -hmm. which is in my opinion, pretty wrong. Even when you're planning to kill everybody on board, they mm -hmm. talk about uh, a non seven Mia three. They talk about their morality. And that they, they have a higher sense of morality, but they fire upon the ship, even though they told Kirk that that was not going to be that they would have a chance to surrender. Mm -hmm. Like when unless they in their mind had luring them down for shore leave as a chance to surrender. I don't yeah. see that they actually had a chance to surrender because they didn't know that they were under attack. Yeah. So they would have a chance to surrender to be disintegrated. And the only option they were given, Scotty knew was a lie. Now, when they, I don't remember how how significant the attack was. Did they say like you know shields are down to forty percent or anything like that? I don't know if they gave a specific percentage of uh, their shields left, but they did say that if the shields were down, they would have been destroyed. Uh, okay, so it is an effective weapon against their technology. Just you know, not what shields are holding the shields up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the ambassador is still not allowing Scotty to retaliate. Um, the guys on the surface say it was a it was an error. I think. I don't know if I put that part in my notes or not, but um, they all I was really confused. that They say they can't fire their phasers back at the planet at full capacity while the shields are up. I didn't know that was a thing that they couldn't use full phasers while their screens were up. Yeah, I don't I don't think that tracks. I think later I'm pretty sure later on we could fire with the shields up. Right. I mean, how do you do that in battle? And not not be able to fire with your shields up. Oh, I do have that, that other part in my notes. It's just we hadn't got there yet. Uh, the ambassador <laughs> orders Uhura to expect to orders Uhura to tell the planet to expect a priority one message from him because you know mm -hmm. that'll that'll really show him <laughs> priority one message. I'm angry at you. All right. <laughs> Scotty has a good quip <laughs> saying, uh, "Diplomats, the best diplomat I know is a fully activated laser bank." Exactly. <laughs> I like that one too. Um, back on the planet, the away team has secured four disruptors and one comm device on their escape so far. Mm -hmm. um, 
but the comm device is not yet configured or powerful enough to reach the ship. Kirk finally talks Mia 3 into helping them somehow. I don't remember exactly how that happened or if it was just, okay, now you have enough guns that I'll listen. Mm-hmm. Um, Anon 7 and the other dudes in charge there are trying to figure out how to proceed with the Enterprise and with the escaped people, the escaped away team. Um, they're falling behind on their quota for killing people based on the last attack, and they're expecting retaliation from Ventikar for this. You, you know it would be kind of funny to see? I don't think we had a scene. It doesn't have to be much, too. Uh, but just like in the, was it the previous episode, or one of the recent episodes, with uh, the Return of the Archons, I think that was our last episode. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyways, we see that the 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 leader and the people that are there are so used to compliance that somebody defying them was like a big upset and like don't know how to handle someone who says no. That'd be funny to see in this too. These people have been in for 500 years, so the entire life of anybody there, uh, it's always been digital warfare and people comply, people walk into the chamber and willingly die. So they probably don't carry weapons on a regular basis. They probably just, you know, give orders and, you know, keep a log and stuff like that. So to see, you know, people running up and down the hallways with weapons and destroying their technology and stuff like that, it'd be funny to see them not sure how to react to that. Right. And they're like, oh man, we're going to take down his number. He's going to be in the next, uh, whatever, next attack or something like that. And it's like, well, no, I mean, you, you got to fight back. You don't know how to fight anymore, probably. Yeah. Which, which funny. is funny later on, but uh, right before, right before I get to that point, I want to bring up another point because Anon 7 right here says that or he asks himself, what is the greater morality, open honesty or deception, which may save our lives? And my thought is that isn't open honesty always better than saving your own skin? Like, isn't that morality in a nutshell? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it gets tricky. What if you are trying to save other lives and you, you know, lying to a predator saves the prey kind of thing? Right. I mean, it was. The, I guess it's more of a the way he posed the question just seemed very very dumb like Selfish. it was yeah, yeah exactly yeah and at this point i think that's what they're trying to do is save their own skins because mm-hmm. they don't know what else to do ambassador fox and anon seven finally talk um fox agrees to meet with anon uh then he talks down to scotty because you know we really have to hate this guy <laughs> um and he orders scotty to lower the shields and scotty refuses mm-hmm. which is obviously the right call because they yeah. were just attacked, and if their shields were down, they said that they would have been destroyed. So I don't even know how he has any, how Fox has any say over the operations of the ship. Yeah, he but, shouldn't, right? And right. he, he was trying to do that as just an act of good faith, right? To show them, like, hey, we're not here to fight. We want to, you know, work with you guys. Yeah. So take down our shields. It's a little too much risk for you. They just attacked you. You didn't provoke them. And here, you know, you want to just go ahead and let your shields down. It's funny that that it's presented in that light, though, because a lot of times in the next generation, Picard is in the same seat as uh, Ambassador Fox in this position. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, let's go with trust. We can do it. And it works out fine. But we know in this instance, it wouldn't because of the way the episode's framed. So it's all it's all perspective. And we're supposed to hate Fox. But I could see where he's coming from, especially taking Picard's methods of uh relations yeah. you know into and account faith in other people yeah. i think also picard is a great captain and has better situational awareness so he and knows that's true when, too. when he can extend good faith to somebody or not right and to your point earlier you were talking about how they don't probably the people on this planet probably don't have enough combat training um two of them overpowered kirk and yeah. we've seen kirk take out multiple people before on yeah. earth in the past it took i think four u.s air force dudes to take mm-hmm. kirk down but these guys are unpracticed and it only took two i thought yeah. that was strange <laughs> the fight scene was okay though it wasn't as yeah. good as the the u.s air force one but it was it was okay and i don't remember seeing um his kirk's double i know in the one of the recent episodes that's like i would constantly notice that that's his double did you did you notice that in this? oh no i didn't even pay attention to that so it was either him or it was very well done that's good, yeah. Um, next, Ambassador Fox beams down to the planet, and Anon 
Seven tells him that he is to be killed. To Fox's surprise, to nobody else's. <laughs> uh, Spock gets back in contact with the Enterprise, and as Fox is about to be thrown into a disintegrator, Spock shows up and saves him. Um, I didn't talk about this earlier. I probably skipped over it. But mm-hmm. whenever they fire those disruptors, which Spock does here to destroy the disintegrator, mm-hmm. I hate stupid sound effects with no practical <laughs> effects to go with them. Oh, what are you doing? Throwing a monkey right I, I can't stand it. It, it. I don't know if it's like just a, an audiovisual thing or without the visual, the audio is just so much more stupid than it was <laughs> meant to be. What did you think about the effects here? Yeah, I agree. Like uh, we've seen, we've seen it before where they just rely on the sound alone to to tell you something is happening, but it works so much better. Like with the uh, the Archons episode not too long ago, the waving that big wand kind of thing, right. and it's supposed to do magic. But in one scene, it does like shoot a plume of smoke and sparks. It's like that is believable. Then you can you're hearing a sound and you're seeing an effect and you're right. understanding its its direction and the effect it's supposed to have. Rather than just Tinkerbell's wand that's magically changing, you know, everything around you or making clouds appear. You don't know what, if you don't see a direction of attack or anything like that, then you don't know what it's supposed to be doing. So, yeah, yeah, just relying on a sound, especially if it's a sound that's not familiar, it makes it hard to believe and it kind of takes you out of it. And the the sound effects that they used, um, it wasn't as bad as the one with Trelane's mirror. But (laughs) (laughs) but it reminded me of it, which is not a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot about that. (laughs) I definitely cannot ever forget about that. I love that Frank added that sound to the the episode too when we were talking about it. That was that was that was fantastic. I think of like a Willy Wonka machine going haywire when you (laughs) when you hear that sound. Oh man! So Anon Seven tries again to convince Kirk that the deaths are necessary to prevent escalation of violence. Um, Anon Seven finally gives Scotty the ultimatum that he should have, in my opinion, but maybe I'm wrong, to begin with, that everybody aboard the Enterprise is to report to the surface or hostages will be killed. Hmm. Uh, I, In my opinion, he still should have jumped either to that to begin with or much, much sooner than he did. But Yeah, well, there's not a lot of leverage in that, though, right? Because he's saying, you know... I have, I have whatever, 10 people here that are going to die. But he doesn't and, actually have them. Yeah. And, but it's like, it's like in a, a bank heist or something like that. You have hostages here and you're telling them, send in more hostages. <laughs> send, send in the other 150 or 400 people, whatever you got up there. And they're all, all your, your people are going to die when they get here. And all the people I have are going to die too. So That's what, are they, what are they saving that? Yeah. It's like, well, I could keep my people up here. You're going to kill the ones that are there. Okay, I'm going to try to find a way to stop that, but I'm not going to give you more knowing your intentions are to kill all of them. Right, but from the perspective of the High Council here, I would think that that would be a much better option to start with or to get yeah. to earlier. Not knowing that they're going to... I don't know. There's, I haven't <laughs> fully collected my thoughts on the, the morality versus... Like any of this, it just doesn't make sense. It's just a stupid episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think a non seven could have been written very different too. Yeah. Um Kirk chimes in when uh a non seven's trying to talk to Scotty. Uh Kirk jumps in and says, General Order twenty four within two hours, which is uh supposedly gonna destroy the entire planet. Mm-hmm. The Federation has a general order to destroy a planet. <laughs> I, I- could imagine maybe it's just the self-destruct of the ship and that, you know, the, the warp core overload cascading over the surface of their planet would, you know, kill everybody or, or make them radioactive or something. I don't know. Well, I, it's, it's not the science behind it that worries me. It's more, why is there <laughs> a general would... order to destroy yeah. a planet? <laughs> yeah, this isn't like part of the Omega Directive or a very, like, they're rare not section specific 31 situation or you yeah, know it's like well if shit gets sticky just go ahead and kill everybody you know and we'll destroy the whole planet while we're at it this is yeah, essentially too, this is an much. exploration ship that is meant to meet new uh, to seek out new worlds and new civilizations 
Yeah. I, I don't I don't know why this order exists and why they are so familiar with it. It kind of scares if, me to be honest. If things go bad, kill everyone. <laughs> Leave exactly. no survivors. Oh, we man. will send a ship a hundred years later to investigate where what happened there. <laughs> uh, I just had to bring that up. I, I that's not like any plot hole or anything to me. It's just it I found it interesting yeah. and funny. So so to be fair, when I heard that, I didn't think that was real. I thought that was Kirk. See, I thought playing. the same thing. Okay, okay. I thought he was just giving a whatever generic order that means, you know, warm up the ramen or something. Right. But, but it, to you know, he could use that as a bluff, saying, "Hey, just so you know, the General Order Twenty Four. If you haven't heard, that means your entire planet's going to be destroyed but and the, scare the guys." By the end of the episode, I think we hear that it is a real thing and that they were actually targeting the planet. Like, oh, okay. I, I think they. Uh, one of the crewmen actually tells Scotty that they've got every single. They they had everything targeted. They were ready to destroy the planet in like one shot. Which, like I said, science notwithstanding, I now I don't want to talk about the science of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, Scotty tells Anon that the Enterprise has targeted pretty much everything and that they'll all die. I do, I thought that that was still a ruse at that point, but they played it off like it was real, like at least to the audience, like it was supposed to be real. So I think yeah. that that is a real threat and that was a real thing even though it seems like it shouldn't have been. Yeah, and it would have been really easy to to write in a, a couple, a sentence at most, that says, uh, that shows us that General Order 24 is a bluff, that you're going to, you know, pretend that you're prepared to destroy a, a culture or whatever to get out of a sticky situation. But I would have loved it if at the end of the episode, you know how they always have the comedy bit at the end, right before the end credits? Yeah. If uh, Scotty would have been on the bridge and like with a plate of food and said general order 24 sir and hold it yeah. and like a coffee or like a tray of food that or something that would have been great yeah, some noodles yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, man that'd be, that'd be perfect oh man so uh, kirk finally gets the upper hand on everybody in that room like on all the high council basically points a gun two guns he has two disruptors yeah. pointed at all the high council when spock enters and he didn't need Spock's help. Spock figured he was going to, but he didn't. Um, Kirk and Spock destroy the computers that are running the war, which uh, kind of seems against Starfleet as well, but I, they did it as they explained to save their ship. Or Kirk yeah. says it was the best way to sh save the crew in the ship, so I get it. Um, Anon calls them savage beasts, and that war is going to come regardless, but they finally agree to go to try to find peace with Vendikar and Fox stays behind, thankfully, <laughs> to try to help them find that peace. All right. So do you End think as soon as, as soon as the Enterprise leaves, Fox just got murdered? Um, I hope so. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. It's like, uh, this, is, this is slippery. Like, I mean, peace has not been, been made yet, so to just leave him behind and say he's going to figure it out. I mean, obviously, they don't have a whole lot of value on his life, but right. that... Uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to go too well. Yeah, I I, I think it's a joke that uh, Lower Decks makes a lot, and I love referencing Lower Decks because it's such a great point of reference for things that go back in time to talk about stuff from earlier treks. Um, we always see that wherever Kurt got involved, it, people tend to go back to how, the way they were before, after yeah. Kurt leaves. So I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if these two planets are at war within a week again. Mm. Or if the peace never fully comes and the, that they just rebuild the computers, which I don't know why they made such a big deal about the computers being destroyed. They're an advanced civilization. They could probably just build new ones, right? I don't know. Because like we saw in, in, was it the cage? Uh, after relying on the technology for so long. They forget how to. They, they forget how yeah. to maintain it even or, yeah. or replicate it. So they that probably can't do that. It's, it's, it's just so strange to me that they have 50, almost 51 minutes to go through the whole story and that they always just expand the middle way too much and then the end is always rushed. <laughs> I'm with, telling you, it's got to be commercial breaks. I'd, I'd love to actually ask somebody who was involved or knows more than me, but because the way commercial breaks are broken up throughout an episode, you know, you got to keep the person's interest yeah. enough to get them to the last commercial break. And then afterwards, you're like, well, crap, we got, you know, four minutes or whatever to really end the story. You want to leave them on a cliffhanger right before that last break. And then now it's like, okay, we got, we got four minutes or something like that to wrap up the whole plot. And so they seem to do it. They kind of button it up real quick and convenient sometimes, but 
Yeah. I, they cram it in. It, I, I do agree. It's, it's, that's gotta be the reason why, because obviously everything's broken down into segments. That's even how I broke, I break my notes up whenever I write notes for Trek Freaks. Every single, um, big bullet point is coming back from a commercial break. Mm-hmm. And so that is how the story is structured. It just seems like they'd be able to work with that structure rather than against it yeah. <laughs> a little bit better. I, I don't yeah. know. It does. Um, it does make it kind of hard. The story doesn't flow as, as good as we see nowadays. It can right. because they, they rely on that. Uh, what did you think of this episode overall? It was, it wasn't terrible. I mean, we've seen worse. I'm sure I, I wasn't a big fan though. It's not that, you know, I got some of my favorites, some of my worst and some middle of the aisle. It was probably the lower end of the middle of the aisle episodes. Yeah. Um, so did you I get, get... yeah, I give it like a C minus. Okay. Um, I actually agree. I gave it a C plus just because the, the other than the stupid sound effects, um, everything <laughs> else with the production seemed very, very good compared mm-hmm. to a lot of other episodes. Um, a lot of that was probably with the remaster. The planet looked great, but even the corridors looked great. The practical effects of the, the disintegrator chamber door spinning open. I liked that a lot. Uh, the the use of colors was great. And the disruptors that they used, I think they used later as Klingon disruptors. Um, th- I liked the look of those and the communicators that they used on the planet, which resembled yeah. Starfleet's communicators, but were different enough that you could tell they were different. I don't know. I, I liked it. And some of the writing, especially with Spock, was really good. Yeah, I like that with every episode, it seems like we're seeing better and better uh, set production and props and stuff like that. Because, I mean, you spend all your money up front on building the basic sets and then each episode they have, I'm sure, a little bit more money they can work with because they don't have to build a new set every every time. (laughs) Right. Um, As we know, they didn't have a lot of funding back then, too. So I'm sure it's pretty hard to to be creative and make something different, especially when you're trying to finish up a season. Mm-hmm. In a very long season at that, while still trying to get picked up for a second season. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, what would you say was the moral of the story? Oh, so this has been a moral. I don't know if I've, I've uh, used it as the, the moral of other episodes, but do your homework. <laughs> don't beam down to a planet where you know nothing about what is going on. They show up at this planet. They got this ambassador that's supposed to, to you know, get to know these people. They don't even know they're at war with another planet. They don't know that millions of people are getting, you know, executed every year. What? Like, you need to know what you're getting into, bud. Like, are these lizard people that are just going to eat you as soon as you get there? You yeah. don't know. Like, oh, shit. Yep. <laughs> do some homework. Do a little bit of research before you beam down. Even just video communications with them from orbit for a while until they agree that they want you to come down and have a, a sit down meeting or something. But yeah, do your homework <laughs> for me. I, my general feeling about the, what the story was trying to tell, which is, I don't know, a lot less heavy handed. I talk about the heavy handedness of morals and messages in star Trek a lot. This one, it didn't really have one direct message, but what I got from it, was basically without being able to actually see the consequences of your actions, doing bad or dumb things can seem okay and easy to reconcile with your conscience, Mm -hmm. which is basically the people on this planet are stupid because they have one way of doing things. That's not our way. Therefore that they suck. (laughs) It's basically (laughs) what I got that. I'm not saying I agree with that at all. I'm just saying that that's, I think that was the message they're trying to say is that, they have an easier time of reconciling their differences because they don't see the direct impact of their actions. Yeah. I, yeah. And no matter also what war bad. Yeah. War, <laughs> war is always bad. No matter how you try to soften it to find, find a solution, find a way to peace rather than finding a way to cope with war or yeah, justify okay. death. Perfect. I love that. That was great. Yeah. I try. <laughs> All right. Well, Next episode, we are going to be talking about season one. I should say Frank and John are talking about season one, episode 24, This Side of Paradise. Yes. Uh, Thank you all for listening. If you like what you heard, join us on uh, all the social media platforms and check out geekfreakspodcast.com. All right. Until then, transporter room. Two to beam up. (laughs) 